The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so thrilled you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It's my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories. This thing called life can be challenging, and my guests share their amazing stories, wisdom, and life lessons that demonstrate anyone can choose happiness. You see, happiness is a journey, not a destination. I am Sandy Scarlatta, America's happiness coach, author of Happiness Solved. I'm also a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. I have a gold medal in ice dancing. I've been a certified life coach since 2004, and I've been inspiring others to shift their mindset and choose happiness for over 20 years. I am so excited to share that my next book is coming out soon. I am a co-author in the fastest growing personal development book series in the world with Jim Lutz and Jim Britt. The really cool thing is that the foreword was written by the one and only Les Brown, and for my copies, I'm on the cover with him. If you would like a free copy when it's available, email me at sandy at sandyscarlotta.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I am so grateful for you. Today's guest is America's brain gal, Dr. Sarah Allen. Dr. Sarah is a pediatric neuropsychologist who helps busy parents overcome their fear and anxiety of failing their kids by refocusing their view of parenting with applied brain science. Dr. Sarah is a mom, parent coach, doctoral professor, and school program consultant. She has spent over 15 years studying neuroscience and is the international best-selling author of the book, Raising Brains. This is such an amazing conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Dr. Sarah. I, I'm so thrilled that I heard from you and your your assistant to get you scheduled. I'm like, yes, yes, Yay. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you're doing, and we're going to get to your book, Raising Brains. But before, I really want to hear your story. I see it in your bio. I read it, but I want to hear your own words, like because you've been through a lot. You've been through an, yeah. a lot. Yeah, so, you know, it's so, yeah. It's so interesting because you don't, I don't think people realize their own stories until you write it down. So as I wrote uh, my book, Raising Brains, you know, I kind of went to put some of my story in it and I'd never really seen it as uh, having been through a lot until everything slowed down and I had to take a look at it. Um, But yeah, you know, I think that having that pandemic time gave me the chance to really go back and just everything stopped. So once I, I don't like to stop, I like to keep moving and keep going. And I think there was a lot that I hadn't processed around that time too. So, you know, even back to 
um, you know, right when I started to try to have children, um, which I do a lot of work with kids. I'm a neuropsychologist. So, um, you know, having kids actually was not really that important to me. I always assumed that I would have them, but I didn't really know kids very well before uh, I had my own. I had had a niece that was born that I always say taught me how to be a mom um, because that's really when I started getting interested in having kids myself. I was young at the time, uh, probably 23. And so I all of a sudden um, became interested in having children. And then when I went to have children, my first son, I went into labor at about 24 weeks and um, he was born and only lived about an hour and then I got pregnant very, like I said, I don't like to stop. So I got pregnant very soon after that with twins. Um, and the same thing uh, happens where I was about 23 weeks with the twins. Maybe No, I was 20 weeks with the twins. Um, and I ended up on bed rest for about three weeks. Um, and finally, my first twin uh, was born. And then the second twin a few days later. And I was right um, actually doing my internship at the time. And I was had to rank internship sites uh, when I was doing that. So I'm laying in bed not knowing what exactly was going to happen, um, whether I would have kids or not have kids at that moment. It was a very difficult uh, time to go through to try to figure that out. And then I finally did have my two beautiful babies, Julianne and Carter, uh, who are now 12. She just turned 12 and 10. Wow. And at the time, you know, again, they are nine months apart <laughs> or 18 oh months apart. Um, very quick. And then after that, I, I had my doctorate. I was, I was practicing and I, my marriage was, you know, struggling a little bit. I think we had spent so much time trying to have kids that we ignored some of the problems that we were having. Um, and then my sister got sick. And so my sister was 28 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and 29 when she died of breast cancer. And it was this whirlwind of an 18 month process where there was just no emotional energy for anything but trying to hold your breath and keep moving. Um, and then soon after that, I got to finally did have this space to get divorced, moved to a new town, and the whole world shut down. So my kids went to school September through March, and then everything closed uh, for, for a long, long time. And so it was this uh, processing of things that tended to that happened during that time. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And so you had you lost your first three mm -hmm. just, you know, prematurely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, I, you know, when I talk to, to moms that um, go full term or, or even, you know, mm -hmm. don't, they don't complete the whole, the whole cycle and deliver early and then they, they die. Um, I, I just can't even fathom that. I mean, I've had five pregnancies and one child and I, I can say I'm grateful that they were all the miscarriages were prior to 12 weeks. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like I, mm. I I'm, I'm of the, the mindset that, you know, it's, if, if it's not meant to be like, there's something wrong with the baby, there's something right. wrong. Yeah. And it doesn't make it easier though. It doesn't make it easier. <laughs> no, but like, it wasn't that, I mean, it was hard. It was devastating, but it wasn't like all my, like, when you're actually holding a baby. I, I, so I no, just, as one mother to another, I really feel for you because that's just uh, unimaginable. Well, it's interesting yeah. you said that because I remember when I lost the twins, my father had came to us. He didn't come for the first one and he held one of my sons and he had looked up and he just said, I didn't realize you had a baby. 
You know, like he just never, I don't know if it just never registered or if it was a coping mechanism for him or what, but, um, it, it is a, it, it is a very, I actually had a miscarriage, uh, early, early on before that. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very, they're all difficult experiences to be yeah. very honest. You think your life is going in one direction and then it quickly turns and goes in another. I remember a little boy had just put his hand on my belly cause I was running ADHD groups with my first and, um, said, what's in here? And he said a baby. And then two days later, there was no baby. Uh -huh. So that, you know, that's, it just, it's hard. It was, it's definitely hard. Um, but I, I think that looking back on it through the process, it teaches you what you want and what's important to you and, um, you know, paths for getting that in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And I'm sure with your two now, you're like, oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, you appreciate it a lot more. I think you also yeah. have to watch some of the reactions, you know. And interestingly, I lost three boys. And so with my daughter, it's a little bit easier for me sometimes. I don't know if it's just because she's a daughter. Uh, and I'm like, pick yourself up. You're a girl. You know, let's go. Or what? But I find with my son that I'm, I have these, uh, I have more of a fear reaction with him, you know, that I don't want, I'm worried more about him. And I don't know if it's just from the loss of boys or, or what, but I have to, I call it swallowing it. Cause I literally have to be like, <gasps> okay. Um, and get rid of that so that I can do what's best for him and not act out of my own fear. Uh, even when it comes to letting him go to a friend's house or do something that I'm unsure about, you know, I have to think about what's best for him. Is he ready for that? And not, am I ready for that? Well, my oldest brother died when I was 12 and he was 19. So getting my son past the age of 19 wow. was very scary. And even now, like he'll be 22 in the fall. It's still, and, and I have to stop like just because that happened to my brother. Right. But it mm -hmm. does. I mean, our mind just goes there and, and you do, you just have to, Nope. You know, we're not, not going to yeah. go there. <laughs> That's part of the coping mechanism in the brain. You know, we know bad things can happen. Right. I think when you have tragedies in your life, you learn bad things can happen. And actually when it happened to me a second time, you know, the first time people said, Oh, you know, God's going to give you one back or something like that. You're going to, I remember the woman who told me I'd get pregnant with twins. And then when I got pregnant with twins, that's what I clung to. Oh, there you go. We got another one. And then when it happened a second and third time, um, you know, it wasn't, it, it almost was freeing in the end to me because it was like, listen, you do everything you can and then you don't get to make the next decision. So as long as you do everything you can, it, it's it's not no pressure at that point because the universe is going to make those decisions for you. And there was some comfort in that in the end for me after the anger. <laughs> there was some comfort in the fact that I don't, it doesn't matter if I wear a lucky bracelet, if I don't wear a lucky bracelet, it doesn't matter if I, um, make, you know, go straight here, do this job, do that job, you know, do the best I can with the information I have. And then the universe decides the rest. So for me, that was a bit freeing in the end. So, so you're a pediatric neuropsychologist. Do you think mm -hmm. that your training has helped you? Yeah, I really do. You know, I, I think a lot about the way people think, the way I think myself. You know, sometimes right. it's a blessing and a curse, I guess, because sometimes I kind of watch myself and how I process something as I'm going through it. Um, so that is definitely a lot of thinking involved, which can be fatiguing at times. But I think it's also the way that I'm able to not just process my own emotions, but then be able to help other people through theirs or find a common point to be able to understand what's happening. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think understanding the brain and how the brain grows, that it likes to compartmentalize things, that 
you know, it also likes to anticipate things. So it kind of helps me. I knew when I walked out, for example, I walked out of my house and I had been in the house for about three weeks after my um, second and third losses because I was anemic. I'd lost a lot of blood. It was a pretty traumatic, uh, one of them was a pretty traumatic delivery. So physically I wasn't ready. Um, my first son, I went back to work two weeks later. It was the surreal thing. Um, but for uh, the twins, I was um, I was down longer. And so when I stepped out, I had this kind of weird out-of-body experience, like I was watching myself um, in my own life. Um, and I knew that that was a trauma response, and I knew what that was about. So it, it definitely helped me. Uh, I also remember watching, oh, I wish I could remember the name of the show. It was a spinoff on one of the hospital shows uh, with, with a perinatologist. She was So she was a baby doctor. And every single episode had babies dying, things happening in pregnancy, all of these things. And I watched that thing religiously because I knew there was some exposure impact to that so that if I could watch that and not break down, that then I would be able to start processing through some of those emotions and be able to to function in the world because that's the tough part. You know, you end up having to handle a lot of other people's emotions when it happens. And if you haven't processed your own, it's very difficult to then see people and talk about it and watch them and their reaction to that. Uh, you have to kind of be there to support them and it becomes a different uh, experience. So what made you go into um, pediatric psychology. Yeah. So I was working in adults actually at first. I went to uh, Drexel University, which has a co-op program. So it was, you work six months, you go to school six months. And I had been in a place called Drucker Brain Injury Center, which was an adult rehab facility, probably one of the best in the country. And I love the way that they were, the brain was so fascinating to me, the way that it could be injured and then start to rehab and get better. Um, I remember one patient who had actually multiple personality um, disorder and she, one of her personalities had taken extra medication. So she'd overdosed and watching the way her brain, and she was a chef at some point too. And so just the amount that her brain needed to do at one time and then the amount that she wasn't capable of and then how we got her back was really interesting to me. And one of the, um, one of the doctors there happened to be in, uh, moved to a pediatric facility. So once I was in pediatrics, I never left because the ability to shape the brain when it's still growing and developing, there's so much more that you can do at that point. And of course, you have natural cures. You have natural therapists because parents and teachers and um, therapists are with them much more often. So it just was a way that you could really impact the brain. And I got really interested in in kids and in development and the complexities of, of not just injuries, but just development and skill building in general in kids. So what types of um, children, or I'm sure you work with young adults as well, like what do they come to you for? It's so I see this is a specialty that you do, right? I really see any, I, I do a lot of school work. You know, my uh, work is really focused on not what should happen, but what's actually happening. And what I was okay. finding, I was making all these recommendations to schools and, you know, they, it's written down. And if something wasn't able to happen in the very specific way, and I'll give you a, a silly example. If I wrote, the student has attention issues, so sit them in front of the classroom. And if that, they sat them in front of the classroom, but the teacher taught from the middle of the classroom, that, that, that whole recommendation it was useless to people. And I was getting frustrated by that 
that translation problem. And so I ended up doing some training in schools, in schools for kids that have um, issues where they needed to come out of districts. So things like Asperger's, learning disabilities, anxiety, severe anxieties, um, some behaviors, those kinds of things that required them to have a special school. Uh, I worked in a school like that for a while. And then I started doing a school within a school model. So with those kids, but in a public school setting. And then I ended up doing a lot of consulting. So I have this unique um, kind of experience with being a neuropsychologist, understanding the brain, but then also doing school programming. So it's that translation that I'm really interested in because, you know, this way we can help use the expertise of teachers and of neuropsychologists to blend together to really make things actually change for kids. Because it's similar to the medical system where you go doctor to doctor, everybody is a specialist, but there was there's not often people pulling it together. Um, I really was really interested in if this was my kid, what would I want? And I would want somebody that could go in there and actually help make the change, not just tell me some things that might need to be done. Yeah. And it, and it really is so important. And I just know from my own experience with my son, he was, was probably end of his sophomore year of high school. He was diagnosed mm -hmm. with severe generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And so he lost his freshman and sophomore year. Ugh. I mean, didn't lose it. It's just the GPA. You can't well, get that back. Mm -hmm. You can't get that back. I mean, he, he didn't fail any classes, but when you're not getting A's and B's, you know, your GPA. So anyway, he's all, he's fine now. You know, he's a junior in college. He's doing great. Um, however, the school was not there for us. Mm -hmm. And it's very disappointing that how mm -hmm. I asked for help, we didn't get it. And as a matter yeah. of fact, and I hope she's lis listening, <laughs> his college counselor said to him, don't bother applying to college because you're not going to get in anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it, thankfully, the secretary in the counselor's office sat down with my son and helped him to apply to colleges. And he got into five D1 schools. Oh, and he's so wonderful. thriving and everything I, else. But, I think that yeah. that's an important lesson because that's what, you know, that's one of the reasons I do what I do. And one of the reasons I wrote that book, Raising Brains, because we are raising brains and every brain is different and there's different paths for everybody. And that experience of having that anxiety, working through that and figuring that out, I'm happy on some level that he figured that out before he went off to college, before he became, you know, an independent adult, because this is the time that we have to help to shape that brain. Uh, and we have some more influence. You know, we often shy away from a lot of problems, any conflicts when kids are young. We don't want to upset kids. But if we don't work on those skills at that point, it's not like they go away. They just get bigger uh, when you have adults. And I think right now in the school systems in particular, you know, it used to be we decided that we schools should teach math and reading and writing because as a, you know, as a community, that's the things that we wanted people to know. But now you can Google anything you want. You can find content on YouTube. So yes, we, there's some basics that kids need to know, but it's the social and emotional skills, understanding the complexities of emotion and being able to cope and adapt and, and handle things and absorb information and understand how to apply it and use it and learn it. It's the how to learn that's even more important these days. Yeah, for sure. So let's go right into your book. Good segue. So raising brains, talk about that. I mean, 
the title sort of speaks for itself, but I'm sure there's a lot more to it than just raising brains. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea is that we're not just raising kids, we're raising brains. And I think when you start to see your kids like little brains, you're really able to start to focus on building skills in them instead of just managing behavior. And I often say you can do that without losing your mind. If you really have a good sense of brain, the brain science, I think it helps you reduce your own emotional reaction. Uh, it becomes that you become this kind of brain detective and figuring out what your kids need. And then you start to see things like their behavior as a, something they're trying to tell you. You're listening to the message and not the delivery of that behavior because kids talk with their behavior. So they're really trying to tell you something now. And when you're able to make that shift and really use this brain science and start to think about skills and how do I break this down so that they can start to learn whatever skill that it is, um, it really is impactful in, in raising these like happy, successful, connected kids. Wow, I love it. So, so tell me a little bit more about some of the things that you can. Can you give some like specific examples of yeah what you're, you're just referring to? Yeah. So when we're talking about raising kids, we're talking about building independence, building responsibility, um, even in younger kids, building the their communication skills. In older kids, building communication skills. So I'll just use an example from like a twelve year old girl who I happen to have. If she comes home, you know, with a fight with a peer, I could call that mother, try to figure it out, tell her never to talk to that girl again. That how could she create this issue in my baby and you know yell and scream about it which I might want to do on the inside. But if I start to think two magic questions, what does this little brain need to learn and what can I teach this little brain? I start to realize that, hey, this is a great teachable moment and an opportunity to figure out relationship skills and communication. So what could I, how could I respond in a way that's gonna be educational for her, that's gonna to help to build her skills? I might say to her, you know, what, what do you think your friend's intentions were? What did she say to you? Did that upset you? Why do you think that upset you? And how could you communicate that to her? Is it worth communicating that to her? Do you value this friendship? You know, I'm asking lots of questions now and leading in that direction. And even if we go to an older kid, um, I just actually had a had a client whose um, son, his son was dating. We'll call him Bob. Was dating Sherry, um, and Sherry had posted some TikToks with really inappropriate. Um, things, a lot of drinking. This is a teenager, young, younger teenager, um, drinking, passing out, um, being thrown on tables, then breaking, um, using plan B pregnancy tests, big, big uh, things. Um, and this mom got very upset and said, do not ever see this girl again. You know, Bobby can't see the girl again. And we had a great conversation because she was able to recognize that that was her fear for her son happening and her discomfort with these videos. And after we talked a little bit about it, she was able to go back and I'm so proud of her because she was able to go back and realize that by doing that, you're just pushing kids right to each other. Not just that, but in a year or two, they don't learn anything. They're just restricted and they don't have a way of figuring this out. So if we want to figure it out, we need to have a conversation. And so this mom was able to go back and say, uh, this you could see my strong reaction to it. I'm I'm sorry that I had the reaction in that way, but this was a really big reaction to these videos. How do you feel about having a girlfriend who posted them? Right. And while and she had a great conversation with both of them, and he was able to express his feelings about not really liking them and having some discomfort with the way that that uh, it made him feel. 
she felt a little embarrassed, which I think was a great thing because she was able to see the impact of those videos. And it wasn't done in a way of criticism, but it was a way of, is this what you want out in the world? Is this the way that you want to be seen? What do you think you need to do with it? And now we're starting to build independent skills. We're building relationship skills. We're building communication skills. We're teaching emotion management. All of those things just in that one interaction. And it gets really complicated at the teenage years because it's really hard to build independence and not allow certain behaviors but still want to kind of push. Um, so that's a great example at the older age. And then you go back to toddlers and it can be um, you know, a toddler kicking and screaming on the floor because you handed them something and they just dropped and kicked. Instead of thinking, why is she doing this to me? I give her everything. You know, she's just so, so behavioral. She's obnoxious. We can think, what does she need to learn? What can I teach her? And we realize, okay, she clearly didn't like something that I did. So we need to teach her to use her words. You know, when you're upset, you can use your words. Or maybe at that point, she's so upset that she needs to learn how to calm herself down. Kids don't have frontal lobes at that age. So, you know, that would be a good time to say, okay, I need you to go and calm down. Take some time to calm down. And then we'll talk about it. And at that point, we can say, okay, so you didn't like that I handed you juice and you wanted milk. So next time, you need to use your words and say, I want milk instead of juice or vice versa. So those are just some quick examples of how when you start to see your kid like a little brain, you're really starting to build skills that are going to promote independence and responsibility and kindness and, and all of these relationship skills and things like that in the future. I love that. And I was kind of trying not to laugh. <laughs> when you were talking about how the mom, the instinct is to say, you know, I don't want you to see this this girl anymore because my high school sweetheart, my father at one point for, forbid me from seeing him. Mm -hmm. And and that didn't serve anybody. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, interestingly, my ex was similar. I was 16 and he was 21. So we saw how that turned out in the end. So, um, yeah, it just really, you know, it didn't, it just didn't work. Um, and it doesn't yeah. work to push, you know, I think, uh, my parents had an interesting approach in that they didn't, uh, condone the relationship and they didn't, uh, but they, uh, they, uh, they didn't really, they wouldn't come over and they wouldn't talk about it, but they did continue to fund my education. And so I had this kind of interesting balance of having to figure that part out. Um, so, you know, and listen, all parents are trying to do the best they can. I always tease my mom that it's always your mother's fault. So I know it's her fault for some reason. I just don't know why. And uh, trust me, my daughter's saying the same thing to me. <laughs> well, in the case of my father, God rest his soul. I, I can talk about this now. But like, so that was my first boyfriend. My second boyfriend, I ended up marrying and we were married for 21 years. When I divorced him, my father wouldn't talk to me, but he would oh my call God. my ex-husband every week. <laughs> Like my mom and I were just talking about it. I was like, yep. like he didn't talk to me for three months. <laughs> well, and then, you know, it's interesting because I think that as parents, we have to do a lot of work. And I think, you yeah. know, this has been the trend a little bit to do a lot of work on ourselves. Um, but with raising brains, the idea is to start young. What if they could start from where we are, what we're doing now? If they started that young, imagine the kind of happiness that they could have and the connectedness that they could have because. I think unhappiness comes from not understanding who you are, what you want, how you feel. And we those are skills we need to teach. They're not skills that just naturally occur. So by having a focus on these social and emotional skills and really building up the, the layers, understanding layers of emotion, 
how you can feel happy for someone and really upset for yourself with things. Remember with that, with losing the kids, I could be happy for someone else, but devastated for myself. And that's okay. And then there's complexities in the middle. Some people I was angry at, you know, and I realized I was projecting this anger onto them um, because they had something that I wanted, you know, and, and you have to, and that's okay. These are all complex emotions. Once you understand them, then you get to choose how you want to respond. If you don't understand them, then those emotions drive your behavior and, um, and then things happen that you would prefer not happen. Exactly. And I love this, that you're the whole concept of you're raising a brain and not Mm -hmm. your child. And I think yeah, that's- And we're raising our own brains, aren't we? Right? Yeah. I mean, we're doing, so it's really about modeling the process for yourself. And if you are somebody doing a lot of this work, especially work on your own happiness, that this is something you can model for your kids. And um, spoiler alert in the book, it really goes through ways you can do this and then talks in that last chapter about how you should do all of this for yourself as well, because it's going to start with that. That's why I started it back full circle. That's why I ended up in kids with kids, because we yeah. have such a strong- Uh, impact on them. We have this ability to really influence the way their brains are shaped really down to the neurons connecting the way that those connect. And so, you know, capitalizing on that is is beneficial for your own happiness as well as for the happiness of your kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to ask you one thing, because I've heard a little bit about this, but you're probably more familiar with it, that there's now science that states that when the baby is in the womb, they're getting some of our own stuff Mm. that that we're experiencing, there's even though the baby's in your belly, they're mm-hmm. still getting some of this stuff that that's going on around you. Yeah, yeah. You know, stress definitely uh, in the moms are going to impact babies. I mean, like I said, when I I was only half joking when I said it's always your mother's fault. Um, we have a lot of science that talks about the impact of that prenatal environment. You know, if you consume alcohol, for example, we have fetal alcohol syndrome that significantly impairs kids. Um, and even uh, if, uh, tobacco use also, of course, any drugs, those kinds of things are really going to impact. Uh, in general, keeping yourself healthy and stable and as anxiety-free as you can is going to be helpful. Um, it's not a one-to-one correlation, though, and you do have the ability to kind of work through it. Actually, it's one of the reasons that I just created. That's one of the reasons I created the new mom course. So we call it the mom brain course, actually, because we really wanted to help new moms. I really wanted to help them figure out how to raise brains. What is this concept? What does it look like? And then parenting, right? What was your parenting style? I had all of this experience uh, 15 plus years of brain science behind me. We've done all of this work, and I don't think anyone ever told me that there are styles of parenting that you could you could do. I got into that much later. So we talk about how you grew up, and then how what kind of parent do you want to be, and then of course mom guilt, which um, sometimes uh, we don't get that right away when we're when we're cooking babies, but we definitely get them the second they come out with those hormones, uh, and all of a sudden the strong connection that we feel and the pulls. From the rest of our world. So, you know, that's one of the reasons we created that because I really am passionate about having people be able to start from this thing that we figured out. You don't want to get, you don't want your child ever getting to middle age and be and being that lawyer and that doctor or whatever you thought was going to make them happy or, or whatever that version of success was. And then they realizing that it wasn't, you know, quitting their job. I think I even use this example in the book, moving to a desert island and, you know, serving drinks naked. You know, if that's their passion, go for it. But we don't want them to do it as a coping mechanism. So, 
<laughs> I love that. And that course is great. Um, so where can people learn about that course on your website? So everything is on my website. You can go to brainbehaviorbridge.com. And that new mom course is actually part of a cool gift set. We have a gift box that you can give um, new moms for their baby shower. Or if you're a new mom yourself, you can buy it. And we even have a little um, hippo in there. We call Hip the Hippo because that's the learning and memory center of your brain. So we have a little Hip the Hippo. We have a little bib that says, I got my brains from my mom and a little um, card that you can link up to the course. And of course, a copy of the book too. You'll have everything you need to go from infancy onward. You can keep that book all the way up through about 15 <laughs> and keep rereading it. Like honestly, like I tend to do because I still have to remind myself of everything. When you're emotionally connected, it's a whole whole other thing. So brainbehaviorbridge.com. And then of course, you can always email me if you're unsure about something. And that's Dr. Allen. It's just D-R-A-L-L-E-N at brainbehaviorbridge.com. And then if you want to catch more about Raising Brains, you can go to our Instagram, which is Allen. S-A-R-A-H-L-A-L-L-E-N. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah. I really, this is such a great interview and such great information for for parents. Just well, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I was excited to be here too. And then we uh, we do also have a podcast called What's Happening Here too. So if you're an older parent and uh, we're part of a, I'm part of a blended family and there was no book, no science book for the way that we are blended and the kids that we had. And so we started to create this podcast. Uh, my partner, Kevin, and I created this podcast to talk about all of those. How do you translate that science in actuality when you're raising your kids? So you can check and that out. And the called- podcast again? What's happening here? What's happening here? Mm-hmm. That's great. I now am in a blended family, except my stepdaughters were out of college when we got married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the youngest just graduated from college. And I, I love my stepdaughters so much. However, I, not raising a daughter, I don't know how I could have done that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, we have we have four kids yeah. between us, and yeah, we both exactly. have boys and girls, and they're all different. Even boys and girls are all different, and trying to yeah. figure out how do you help to parents. We call it being a bonus mom or bonus dad. How do you help to do that? You know, it's it's been um, an interesting experience personally, and it's been fun to kind of delve into the research. And we don't just talk about our blended family. We talk about raising kids in general and the important things that we found. Um, but it really helps to take that neuroscience and figure out, okay, what's actually, how do you actually do this? Because you can't pick each variable out um, of a book and say, this is the study that tells me how to do it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'll make sure all that's in the show notes. Oh, and thank you so much. It was so fun talking to you. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you. Thank you. That was such a great conversation. And I really wish that book came out when I was pregnant or when my son was, was little. That would have been very, very useful for me. So all of Sarah's contact information is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.